Welcome to episode 38 of Coffee and Co-Read, your source for all things literary with Catherine and Kristen, where we believe there is nothing better than a hot coffee and an awesome book. Join us for our virtual book club where we take one book a month and dive into all the drama, adventure, and romance we can find. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Kristen. So, because we've done um, Six of Crows and we keep complaining that all the characters are literal children. (laughs) True. We are going to discuss our favorite children's books today or our favorite books from childhood. Mm-hmm. So, what sort of books do you remember reading as a small to medium child? <laughs> um, so, I look when I first was thinking about this, I was like, I have no idea. I don't remember yeah. any of them. Yeah, but I did end up remembering some. So, <laughs> um. The the ones that I like really really come to mind is um, the Heartland series of mm-hmm. books. Yep. I still have I don't know like thirty five of them in my house now. God, I didn't I didn't realize they made that many. <laughs> oh my god, there are so many. I'll show you. <laughs> there's I, there's a bunch. Yeah, I think I read like the first three or four. I got them like in a Scholastic or something mm-hmm. like that, and I really liked them. I got more into the show series, though, when that came on years later. Yeah, I never did watch the show. Well, that's a lie. I watched a few episodes, but I was, like, in my phase of, it's not the book. And yeah. I was mad about everything. And, like, in the book, they had already, like, when there's 35 million books in a series, like, obviously a lot of stuff happens and, like, the characters grew and I knew the relationships. And I was, like, I cannot go through seven seasons of watching this <laughs> waiting for this relationship to happen that I already know about anyway I don't know if it happens in the show anyway not a big deal but I used to get them at every scholastic book fair we'd have I'd always get a heartland book and I loved them uh just for those of you that may not be aware if you don't have scholastic where you are for us a scholastic book fair slash scholastic book orders So every month we would get these little paper catalogs with a list of books in them, bring them home to your parents. You would pick out the books that you wanted to order and you would order the books and they would just pay for them and they would be yours. It's like going to a bookstore, except they got ordered in, (laughs) they got ordered in through the mail. And, but I think the school also got a benefit when you ordered through the school. Mm -hmm. And then every so often, So that was once a month you'd have your book order, but then every so often you would have a Scholastic Book Fair come to your school. So they would like set up books in the library. So you would ask your parents for like a little bit of money and you would go in with your like $10 and you would go around to all the tables and you would pick out like a book or like a small little toy or something and you would just pay at the library. You would Mm -hmm. just like randomly go in and pay. And it was like the best day ever. Yeah, Like, we loved it when the Scholastic Book Fair used to come. So, I the Scholastic Book Fairs were, like, a huge part of yeah. my childhood and a reason why I loved books so much, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and remember, you used to always, like, pick out a bookmark to go with your book? Yeah. yeah. My sister literally gave me a shark bookmark the other day because she mm. was at a – they had one, like, last week oh, at the kids' nice. school. Yeah. So, she was like, I bought you a bookmark. Oh, this is so exciting. Um, (laughs) 
Uh, I also, we've talked about this one before, but gotta, gotta bring up Harry Potter since it was such a classic and I was just a wee small kid. Um, not wee small. I was like 11 or something, I guess when it came out. Um, and the same with Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit too. Like I read the trilogy when the first movie was out, we rented it at Blockbuster And then Mm -hmm. I was like, I need to read all of these books. And I think it literally took me, I think I read other books in between. It's just that the books are so big. I started with The Hobbit and I know the movies came out a year. So I at least had like two years to do it. But it, I barely finished the third book before the third movie was out because they were just (laughs) such an undertaking. And I was just a little baby. (laughs) Well, and not only that, like, not only that they're they're long, like, they are, like, the text is very small, mm-hmm. but also, like, it's so much description and so mm-hmm. much, like, more information than you really need. We've talked about this, like, a 30-page yeah. song from a mountain giant man, is it necessary? I don't know. No. But it's an <laughs> undertaking, definitely. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, there's just so, so much to them. And I think my little brain at the time just was getting overwhelmed. So I'd like have to do other books in between or something. Yeah. Um, another one is Tuck Everlasting, which I absolutely adored. I now want to read it again. I don't even know if I still own it, but (laughs) it's just one that like when I thought childhood, I was like, I can just picture that book. I think I, I read know. it at least 50 times. It did like two or three book reports on it in separate years. I just adored it. Yeah, agreed. Like, oh my God, Tuck Everlasting. I honestly feel like Tuck Everlasting is what got me into romance books. It, it's what made me believe in love. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> like, realistically though, like, and I still remember, I told you already, I still remember that the last line, like, that yeah. the, he says to each other, he says, Winnie Foster, I will love you till the day I die. If you've seen, if you've read Tuck Everlasting, you know that he is immortal. He will never die. So mm-hmm. he's like leaving her behind and saying he's essentially going to love her till the end of time. I'm not going to spoil the ending, but <laughs> it's not my favorite ending. But like, <laughs> I remember re- like reading the book as a kid. And then I remember when the movie came out and it had... I think Jonathan Jackson and Alexis Bledel and they were small children and mm-hmm. oh my god it like my heart just like beat out of my chest I I'm so glad you brought up that book because yeah yes yeah. yes definitely a favorite um I don't think I ever did watch the movie I don't know why but just didn't get around to it I guess um another one we've kind of talked about before too is blood and chocolate <laughs> which I reread recently-ish, and oh my god, it's so bad. <laughs> um, which is kind of how it goes. Like, Yeah. I mean, it's fine, but it's so inappropriate it's, and so bad. Yeah. Painful. But very. You're like, oh, she was just a snotty kid, and I was obsessed. Yeah. Oof. Um, and then... I actually read Pride and Prejudice when I was pretty young. Um, I don't, like, I've just been obsessed with it forever and ever, I think. 
think I was just born obsessed with Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, I definitely did not read Pride and Prejudice as a child. For me, that was a a university read, like high oh, school really? university. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I've um, I've been reading it forever. I feel like I like do a reread every year and like just love it. Yeah, big fan. Uh, the other one that I thought of um, was The Dark Garden by Margaret Buffy. I think she's a Canadian author as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I really remember liking that book. I don't really remember what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember liking it. Um, but I just find this topic a bit hard because I'm like, I just can't remember. I'm sure if I saw a no. bookshelf from when I was a child, I'd be like, oh, all of these books. But like, yeah just thinking about it like I am happy with what I came up with though because there are a few gems in there mm-hmm, for sure um what about you what uh what books from your childhood do you remember <laughs> so sort of similar like I know I agreed with a lot of the books you've read because as you said them I was like oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, like I don't really remember a ton of specific books mm-hmm. from childhood like I remember I liked reading and the more I think back, the more I remember, like, I think both of us could say that a lot of our teenage and adult life, we've sort of identified ourselves as like bookworms and Mm -hmm. like book lovers. I don't think I identified that as part of my identity as a child. Like I, if you would ask me as a kid, I would have said, oh yeah, I love to read and I like books. But mm-hmm. I didn't consider it like a cornerstone of my identity, sort yeah. of the same way I do now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't think I really considered myself a bookworm, book lover, really, until junior high, like grade seven, grade eight. Um, and by then, I was like going full into like, I was, yeah, I was still reading like Harry Potter and like those sorts of things, but I was also full into like Nora Roberts. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know if I ever, if I, I I know I read a bunch of childhood, child, like books meant for children, Yeah, but I don't remember them as well as I remember like reading stuff in junior high. Yeah, well, also because it was longer ago, but I think well, like, yes, <laughs> a big issue with children's books is a lot of them are single books. Like it's not like a series, so you'd have to remember a lot more books, yeah. really. Yeah. And I don't, I don't really remember a- authors from that time very well because, again, I was a small child. So yeah. Now I'm sure that my mom and dad still have a still have boxes of books belonging to me somewhere in their Mm -hmm. house so I almost want to ask for them but then at the same time I don't because I don't have space for them but anyway um I do remember I had a subscription to um do you remember like maybe not but like the babysitter's club yeah was a thing yeah I was too young when the babysitter's club came out Mm -hmm. I was like eight nine Mm -hmm. I think. And that was geared more towards like 11, 12. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So they came out with a secondary series called the Babysitter's Little Sisters Friendship Club. Yeah. So it was like, it was like the Babysitter's Club, but it was for the, for the little sisters of the Babysitter's Club age people. (laughs) 
Yeah. And it wasn't a babysitter's club. It was a friendship club. So, like, I remember being in that club and every so often in the mail, I would get a book and then, mm-hmm. like, maybe a bracelet or, like, yeah. a bookmark or, like, some little, like, token. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember reading those and really liking those because, obviously, I was in the club. Yeah. Um, so, like, they were all based around, I guess, the babysitter's club character, Christy. Her half-sister, younger sister, mm-hmm. Karen. Yeah. I think I read a lot of those, too. I don't really remember it well, but I do think, like, my sister had a few of the, like, actual Babysitter's Club books, and then my parents got me the little sister's ones, so. Yeah. Which is, yeah, same, same exactly, thing. Exactly, yeah. The one thing I do remember about those books is so like the very first page she always talks about like hi i'm karen and i'm from like i guess they're the books are set in the u.s in connecticut and i used to always pronounce it in my mind connecticut (laughs) yeah how would you know because i like you know they didn't teach us u.s geography in school so Mm -hmm. i had no idea and so I just pronounced it the way it was spelled. So I remember always calling it Connecticut and sort of didn't really click that Connecticut is Connecticut until like <laughs> I was a teenager. No, I was a teenager. <laughs> like I think okay. I was, I give myself a little bit more credit. But anyway, that's what I remember about those books. Um, I also really had a thing for a, the Diary of series. Like, so they're... I'm calling them a series, but they're sort of one-offs each. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're supposed to be sort of a mock diary of famous women in history Mm -hmm. as young girls. Yeah. Um, So, like, I love history. Um, So, like, I remember I had one on Elizabeth I. So... Mm -hmm was literally like Elizabeth at the age of 10, 11, writing a diary about her life. Now, it wasn't real. Like, no, it's not a real diary, but they and they sort of sugarcoated and glossed over real, real life events. But like, you know, that's how I know that Henry VIII, I know about Henry VIII's eight wives. I know like that was my introduction to Okay, knowing who they are, knowing what their names are, knowing how they all died, knowing, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, that was sort of my intro into, like, liking history, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I also had the Cleopatra one, which I loved. So it was, like, Cleopatra as, like, a 10, 11-year-old girl and her um, first time meeting Julius Caesar, first time meeting Mark Antony. And, like, mm-hmm. again, I don't know, how, like, how much of it it can be real but they peppered they tried to pepper in facts like to sort of realize it a bit better and then of course at the end they had like notes on the actual historical stuff cool so like ones like that i really like those um and they had like gold rims on the pages Mm. so i thought they were real fancy and they were like hardcover (laughs) so i felt really fancy reading them um and i like kept reading those ones like i'll still if you know when i was a young adult i was still skimmed through them just for like nostalgia reasons yeah 
Um, I've read Narnia, like Chronicles of Narnia as a child too, but I didn't really appreciate it the same way that I do like now I'll say, or like the same way I did when I read it again in like high school. Yeah. I've never read it. Oh, you're good. Yeah. I've been thinking about it, but just haven't had a chance yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I really got back into them when they did the movie remakes. Oh yeah. And like, of course they're completely different. The, the movies are way more like epic and really good. And, um, but and they didn't, they obviously, like, the books jump all over the place a lot more. Like, the first one is not The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That's the second one. Oh, okay. And then the third one is actually A Horse and His Boy, which I really liked. This is my favorite one. Then the fourth one, I think, was um, Prince Caspian. And then I, I can't remember if the fifth one was Voyage of the Don Treader. I don't. And then the sixth one, the silver chair, and the seventh one, the sun. I think. Don't hmm. quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Um, but, like, they sort of, it was more, like, timeline jumping. Yeah. And then, I guess, because books, like, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Prince Caspian sort of have the same characters running through it. So, those are the ones we they picked for the movie. Uh, movies, sorry. But, um, you know, I really liked the movie, so I went back and reread the books, and I, I really enjoy them more, I think, more when I was a teenager and could appreciate them and sort of get the nuance. Yeah. More so as a, as a child. Um, but, like, I just really remember, I remember just, like, I don't know if you had to do it. I don't know if any other country or province had to do it either. So when we were kids in school... Part of our homework would be to fill out a reading log. So we would get a little like folder and we would get plain paper in it and with squares like and we would have to tie like date, title and author every time we read a book and we would have to get read so many books in a school year. I remember filling that out like crazy, like yeah. my reading log, like logging every single book I read. So I remember reading, filling that out like crazy. And it's just wild to me that I don't actually remember many of the, <laughs> the books that I, that I read, considering I remember filling out the reading log. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to do a shout out to a local, um, local person. Um, when I was in elementary school, we did a study on Amanda Greenleaf and she was like this nymph like a forest nymph type person who lives like at the base of a waterfall and she's like all natural and mystical and magical fairy sort of like person or best friend's mermaid and like I remember doing that story um and it was like great like shout out to my grade six teacher for turning us on to that because I remember really enjoying those books and like so much so I still remember I still remember the name Amanda Greenleaf to this day so that was like a local a local author did those for us. So I don't really expect many other people to to know those, but <laughs> yeah. I really like that one too. Anyway. But yeah, so those are our childhood books to match up with our childlike <laughs> characters in Six of Crows. Speaking of, this is just a heads up. We are not a spoiler-free zone, and things could get a little saucy. Yeah, so this week, 
Um, we're doing chapters 20 to 29. Um, <clears throat> I guess last week kind of ended very depressingly, actually, um, <laughs> with uh, our group in Fjorda in the north. They set um, into a harbor and were left by the boat which is going to meet them in the main town. So that's sailing towards there, but they're walking on foot, which um, I don't really know if I understand the plan very well. Like, I don't know. I can't see how like just showing up out of the North is more inconspicuous than getting off of a boat in the Harbor. Maybe I guess in the Harbor, there's probably like officers checking people getting off the boats, but I don't know. It just seems yeah. Yeah, uh, maybe they, I don't know, maybe they want to come from a different direction than the boat so that they don't have any ties to the boat. Yeah, it's just a lot of walking in the cold for, anyway, so. They also, they, I will say, they seem to do it very fast. Yeah, but it also was like, and it was very cold, and they set up their tents, and I'm like, oh, so this is like a while, I guess. Yeah. I don't know how long. I can't imagine it's that long. No, because it was. But like they, they left, the... they left two weeks before the celebration, exactly. and yeah. God knows how long it took them to sail there. At least I would say a week, because Inez was passed out for four days. Yeah, yeah. So, so it couldn't have been that long walking, but at least a few nights, I guess. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, last week um, the group stumbled upon three burnt Grisha on pyres in the middle of nowhere, um, and one of them was still alive. And Jesper ended up um, putting them out of their misery, basically. Uh, but he shot his gun, which was probably not the smartest move. Um, but Nina was obviously very upset about it because she is Grisha, and this is what the Fjordans due to her people so she's having a bit of a struggle and she's really I guess not feeling the most safe in this country where they want to kill her um, I also like didn't she she was not feeling very charitable towards Matthias at all because he at this point is like still very much a believer in his cause like he believes mm -hmm. right like he, yeah, he he believes in in what the Fjordans are doing. Yeah, and like he doesn't. He did say that they don't burn Grisha anymore. Like that's not. It's against the law. Like they're not supposed to do that. So like he is against that specifically. But he does think that Grisha should be tried and then executed. So it's kind of like, is that any better? Yeah. Um, but he did last week tell, ask Nina if she really should ever have existed or something like that. And I'm like, that's the dumbest question ever. Anyway, we got yeah. into that a bit last week, but it's just, yeah, they're not, um, they're not meshing very well, I would say for potential love interests. That's what I'll put there. Wait, what, wait, what potential love interests? That's what I said. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're starting off this week in Nina's point of view and She's thinking about Matthias and she obviously is of two minds because she has feelings for him and she wants him, but she also struggles against what he is and what she is because their base beliefs are so very different than each mm -hmm. other that like, it's hard. Um, yeah. 
she starts to think about the time that they spent traveling together. So apparently they spent three weeks not knowing where they were and just walking, trying to find a town. Mm -hmm. So walking through the snow and wilderness and just like barely surviving. Yeah. Um, They had some cute moments along the way. Um, like uh, talking about what they would do when they get home. And Matthias said that he'd sleep. And Nina said that she just wanted to eat, um, which I appreciate about Nina. Cause same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, she does tell him during that three weeks that she was able to escape on the ship because of the cup he gave her. So like, I think it was last week we talked about um, when she was in the cage on the ship, uh, she asked for water. And he brought her a glass of water and she used the cup to like get herself free. I think she mentions. It's so like just. Well, they're all, they're all Grisha. Yeah. But they have their hands all bound. I guess. I think she said that there was like a sharp part on the cup or something, or she broke the cup and it was sharp and then cut their bindings. And we don't really get all the information there. Maybe the show will show us. Hmm. Nope, the show already did it, and we didn't see it, I don't think. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, she tells him that that's why she's alive now. Otherwise, she literally just would have drowned in a cage, which sounds awful. Um, we also get a bit more about Juskela. They aren't allowed alcohol, sugar, or we talked about it last week. They're not allowed to have relationships with anybody until after they're like married, I think. Yeah. But basically there's a lot of abstinence in in that profession, I would say. It also doesn't sound fun. No. <laughs> but I guess when you believe what you believe, like I don't know, it's a different time. There's everybody's in an army, it seems like, so. That's true. It is it is true. Like it does seem like everybody is a part of an army. Mhm. So they teased each other a lot and um, like Nina is trying to get along, but Matthias is really trying to dislike her. Um, They also don't share names with each other. So they're like on this journey for quite a long time without just calling each other witch and Driscilla. Um, But then at one point, She's teasing him about how charming she is and she falls into like a snow crevice is what I envision. Like it just all from out from under her feet, she just slips and Matthias grabs her and she looks in his eyes and says, please. And he does pull her up, but he admits he thought about letting her fall. And she just says she would have thought the same. And after that, they tell each other, their names and they're just a bit a bit closer I would say um so present day Nina is walking towards the pyres and Matthias stops her um she admits she's scared of what she'll find at the ice court like she is worried about being in Fjorda and being a Grisha which is like not surprising um, and she's also worried for her people, like Grisha, like these three people that are on the pyre. 
Um, they argue a bit back and forth and Jesper tells them that they can't go on like this. And Matthias kind of forces her to explain what she did to him. Cause like they had once called each other friends and he's kind of like, he kind of makes her tell the rest of the group that she had fucked him over. <laughs> um, because like everybody there is basically one of her friends now. And he feels so betrayed and he wants them to, I don't know if he wants them to turn against her, but he wants them all to know that he's like who she in really the right is. for hate. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. And in all fairness, he deserves an explanation. Oh my God. A hundred percent. I think I said it last week a million times. If they only had a fucking conversation, everything would be explained and we'd yeah. be fine. But ugh, of course. So Matthias kind of, I guess, starts the story and he tells the group that he booked passage um, and went against his like base beliefs for her. And like they were going to get away together, Mm -hmm. even though they should be mortal enemies. And she basically turned on him without explanation and told authorities of a Kurt well told a Kurt ship that he was a slaver so um really fucked him over and obviously that's why he ended up in Hellgate so um she says she has her reasons and she also tells him that she wouldn't change what she did uh which like is probably not a great thing to say unless unless she followed it up with why like, instead of yes. being coy about her reasons, like, be honest and say why. Because we will find out, like, eventually she does tell him. So and like, it is, like, during the same chapter, I think. But, like, yeah. of course, like, I'm sure she probably would have explained herself here. But they're obviously interrupted because we need this to go on longer for mm-hmm. reasons. Um, so they're interrupted by the ground shaking. And then they notice they're under attack. And there's a Grisha that's, like, legit flying, which is not possible. Um, Nina can't really believe it. And then she realizes that this is what the Jurda Prim does. And, like, Kaz was right about it. Because, like, she kind of thought that he was over-exaggerating or that he didn't really know what he was talking about, obviously. Like, she didn't really understand because she had never seen what the Prim had done. Um, so this squalor is uh, basically hurting them so that they're one target. And Jesper does what he does best and shoots the squalor. But then there's another Grisha on the ground who, like, is moving the ice around to kind of block them in, kind of like a cage, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesper's able to shoot that Grisha, but I think it was, like, not in the leg or in the arm or something. I don't know where, but it, it didn't yeah. stop them. Um, and Nina can't use her powers cause she's too far. So Inej vaults off Kaz's knee and she kills the Grisha by throwing a dagger. So, so it was kind good. of like, yeah, it was kind of a scene that really showed like Kaz and Inej like are, are super connected. And I don't think they even really said anything. They just looked at each other and he helped yeah. her. It was just such a connected scene that I loved. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, (laughs) 
There was a little bit of a cute, funny scene where Wyland tries to get them out of this like ice thing that's trying to cage them in because he's the demo expert. Yeah. So he put some putty on it and then was like, okay, it's going to blow. And then, of course, it doesn't for a bit. And then <laughs> everyone's like, what the fuck? And then obviously it does after. And then they're all surprised. <laughs> One of those. Um, they all then go to kind of like sweep the perimeter to make sure that there's nobody else around. Mm-hmm. And Nina actually recognizes the Grisha, the squalor, um, from back when she was in Ravka. And she calls him by name, but he doesn't even really register that. He just tells her that he wants a little more. Um, Nina tries to heal him, but he's also not interested in being healed. He just wants to find the shoe who have more Perim. Uh, he walks away from her and pulls the knife out of himself and just immediately dies. So it's a really sad yeah. scene there. And like, it, it really takes Nina back. It's, it's really a, um, an interesting look like Lee Bardugo is doing a really good job at demonstrating um, I feel like real world problems like drug addiction. abuse yeah. and addiction in a fantastical setting. Yeah. And it's like probably a good way to introduce it to teens maybe. Yeah. For a bigger conversation or something, but like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Nina also thinks about, at this point, like how the small science makes Grisha stronger, like doing their magic, which they don't call magic. They call small science, uh, makes them stronger in almost every way. Like I think in the first book of shadow and bone, Alina was always not always small and always sickly until she started using her powers. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's something that makes them stronger and it's very, opposing to what is happening now with Perem, which is doing the exact opposite and making them physically weaker. Um, so it's just something that like Nina makes her sad as well. Kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. Uh, they realize that the shoe are also after the scientist and are using Grisha, which isn't something that apparently the shoe normally do. Um, but the scientist is also Shu, so I guess the scientist was taken by the Fjordans, mm -hmm. and now the Shu are, like, hoping to get him back as well. I'm assuming they're running out of Perem and don't know how to make more, but... I, f I feel like, didn't they say something along the lines of, like, Bo Yulbear was, like, trying to escape Shoe. yeah in the beginning he was trying to like get was... to Ketterdam for immunity yeah and was captured by the Fjordans at that time so yeah yeah um yeah so then after their fight and they realize all this uh Nina 
refuses to go on because she wants to bury the Grisha that she used to know. Um, so Matthias kind of tells Kaz and the group that they'll catch up since he knows the terrain and that they should continue on. And he stays with Nina to help her dig graves. Um, we get a bit about the feared and God gel. Um, he's connected by waterways and feared and bodies are buried to take root. So they are all connected and Nina kind of asks, like, is that why Grisha are burnt? Because they, like, aren't a Worthy. part of... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Matthias agrees and says that, yes, that's why. But he still agreed to help her bury the ones that they had just killed and the one that she knows. So he's a nice person, maybe? <laughs> It's a bit hard. Yeah. It's it's a gray area. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like of course, we want to think that he's nice. And, you know, later on, we sort of get a little bit more into it. But it's, you know, you grow up around a certain culture. And then all of a sudden, you're always told the cer- a certain thing. And, um, you know, I think we've already discussed. It's sort of already been stated that his... Uh, parents and sister, younger sister, were all killed by Grisha in his village. Yeah. So, like, you know, you grow up in a certain culture, you grow up being told a certain thing, then you seemingly have everything taken away from you by that one thing. Like, it's easy for him to have the belief. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know what I mean? Like, and, and we do it we do it in our societies all the time. You know, you villainize a culture, you villainize a people without knowing one, like, you know what I mean? Without knowing any of them, but you villainize them just because it's sort of everywhere you look and it's what you're told to do and blah, blah, blah. So like he's showing a strength of character here. I feel like, because even though he's had all of this drilled into him his whole life, He's already like defying what he's been told by allowing these Grisha to be buried. Yeah, which I I think is a big deal in this case. And I think Nina feels like it is too. I think they kind of do have a bit of a moment over it, which makes sense. So they start like digging in the snow and ice. And obviously it's very hard to dig. So they're using pickaxes. Uh and he finally asks her why she had no choice but to get him arrested. Um, because obviously we've said that, like, they just need to have this conversation. So she thinks back again, and she finally does tell him. So there were Grisha in Elim, uh, the town that they finally found, and they recognized her. And they recognized uh, Matthias as a um, Druskela. So they wanted to take him prisoner. And she kind of delayed the Grisha and said, like, she'd help capture him the next day. Uh, obviously, she felt like she couldn't tell him because he would have killed the Grisha spies. Because um, they are in Fjordan and, like, it's just... A hard a tough, situation to be in. <laughs> yeah. 
Because, yes, she knew that she was sort of on a precarious sort of ledge with him. Like, they had forged, like, this sort of bond together. But mm-hmm. she knew that that didn't really extend to other Grisha. So if she told him, hey, there are feared and spies. There are, sorry. There are Grisha spies here that mm-hmm. want to kidnap you. We need a plan. <laughs> Um, he would have been like, well, I'm going to my superiors because why are there Grisha spies in Fierda? They shouldn't be here. Yeah. And it exactly. sort of would have negated all the progress that she felt like she had made with him. Yeah. And we don't know if like in that situation, if he would have like brought her to trial as well. Like, yeah. Like you, you don't really know. Yeah. Maybe he would have been like, oh, my God, you've been in on this the whole time. Like, hmm. you know what I mean? We just have no idea. So, I mean, I think as unfortunate as it is, I do think she sort of made the best decision she could have made. Yes. And she kind of goes on because to explain it a bit more, she says that like the next day, I guess her and Matthias were at the dock looking for vessels to get on themselves. And it Mm kind of makes you wonder like, what were they going to do? Were they just going to go off and like be together? Yeah. Forget about either of their armies and just like be together somewhere neutral, which is like interesting. (laughs) Um, So yeah, she says that when they went down to the dock, um, she saw the Grisha from the day before had followed them And she did the only thing that she could think to save him from, like, because if they had have gotten him, he would have been taken back to Ravka and interrogated, which obviously is not ideal. Um, So she she went to this Kurtz ship and said that he was a slaver. Uh, She didn't really realize that they'd throw him in Hellgate. And she, like, she once she was there, once they both were there, she did try to recant her charges. But she also couldn't tell... Or she didn't want to tell, I guess, the Kirch prison the entire truth yeah. when recounting it. Like, I guess, the judge. Um, so she didn't want to say that there were Grisha in Fjorda as spies, because then it could get back to Fjorda that there were spies there. And, like, really, she is first and foremost a soldier, which I think you can say the same thing about Matthias, which is why they're having their issues is because they are both soldiers that are on opposing armies and unfortunately (laughs) ended up in a relationship together. Yeah. Started as a situationship, I'd say. Um, Yeah. So it's, it's really just a very shitty situation. Uh, She does tell him that she stayed in uh, Ketterdam to try and help him. And, like, obviously we knew that in the beginning. Like, she's been asking Kaz to get him out forever. Um, And realistically, like, she doesn't have to be in Ketterdam. She could have just gone back home to Ravka and been part of the army again. Like, she stayed for a full year solely for him and abandoned her beliefs and her like home for what she thinks is right. So like, I do think that she has like a moral compass that is not as gray as some of the other characters. Maybe I'll say. (laughs) Yeah. Her, but she also has a definitive, like 
I want to say side. Like, mm-hmm. she's Grisha. She has definitive enemies and she has a definitive side that she's on. She's Ravkin. She's her home is in Ravka. All her friends are in Ravka. So, like, I just feel like she's not as morally gray because she has a a cause to champion, I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so obviously Matthias is still kind of pissed that she didn't really didn't just like tell the truth and get him free, even though I don't think that would have worked anyway. Like it doesn't seem like the judges in Kendra Dammer especially especially moral themselves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't I don't think that it would have helped that much, but he he also does understand that like Grisha come first for her and he gets that she didn't want to tell him that because Grisha are haunted when they're in uh, Fierda. Yeah. Um, he asks her again, what she plans to do about the scientist because he knows that she like, won't let the scientist live, uh, especially after what she just saw. But she actually tells him that she's not um, going to get in the way of his pardon. She doesn't want Grisha to become slaves. So she doesn't want the Jurda Prim to get out. But she's also not going to put him back in prison. Especially in this way because they'd be fucking Kaz over. And like yeah. Kaz would literally have them killed uh, without a second thought about it. Or he'd kill them himself. So they kind of realize that, like, if if they are going to do something about the scientist, Matthias isn't going to get a pardon. But, like, he probably won't end up back in jail because they'll both be dead anyway. So they make a little pact and they're like, that's fine. We'll just both die. Uh, but their plan is now that they're going to kill uh, the scientist instead of letting him get back to Ketterdam. Um, so we leave them while they're still digging and we pop over to Inej's point of view. And I'm, I'm assuming this is like a day later or something. Don't really know. But they make their way to Jerome. Um, oh, after two more days of walking. And uh, it's, it's the town with the harbor and where the ice court is. So uh, Inej says that spring is starting to show and the town is kind of more colorful than she expected. I guess after everything you've heard about Fiorda, you wouldn't necessarily think of it as like a coastal town with like very bright colored houses, which is yeah. kind of funny. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> uh, the plan is going to happen very fast now. They're basically talking about like, 24 hours from now, they're going to be back to their ship with the scientist in hand. And I'm like, that is very, very fast. So I guess we'll see. Um, The town is all like decked out in festivities for the Druskela ceremony that's happening tonight. And uh, Wylan asks what a wreath, what, what a wreath that somebody is selling is. Um, And Nina says that it's a sacred ash. So there's supposedly a sacred ash tree in the middle of the rings of the ice court. Um, I guess Nina knows from studying. Yeah. And Kaz asks Matthias why he hasn't told them this before. 
And Matthias kind of explains that like, it's the holiest place in all of Fjorda and it's not essential to the plan, um, which Kaz completely disagrees with. He says that he decides what's essential to the plan. <laughs> um, and he asks if Matthias left anything else out. But Matthias just says that there's like so much to the ice court that he can't know everything, which like kind of makes you wonder, is there, is there anything else he's not telling them? Is mm. there going to be any more surprises? Anyway, I guess we'll I see. I mean, considering <laughs> we still have half the book to go, I feel like we can say definitively that there, there will be other things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kaz gets them all to go to a tavern um, so that they can get a seat on the terrace and they can watch basically the ice court gates and like just look at their surroundings. They use a really clever book that like reflects what's behind them. I guess there's like a mirror in it or something, kind of like a compact, but it's in a book so they can see a prison wagon show up at the gate. Um, the prisoners in the wagons are hooded, shackled, and chained, and everyone is really apprehensive, especially when they realize that the guards do a count. Uh, but Kaz assures them that he's thought all of this through and says that, like, the people at the table have obviously never picked a pocket because he kind of explains that you use something called a bump biscuit which is like when you take someone's wallet, you put something in the same size so that they don't realize that their wallet is gone. Yeah. Um, so it's like, it's like that Indiana Jones thing when he's taking that <laughs> statue off the weighted thing and he tries to replace it with the bag of sand. Yeah. It's like that. You want something the same weight. Exactly. Um, so basically Kaz is saying that they're going to take obviously six people out of the prison wagon and put themselves in. Like they're not just going to shove six extra people in a wagon. Yeah. Cause that would be very, it would off the count. Odd. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the guards would do, but they would know something was up. So at this point, Nina goes out to charm people kind of to find out the best place to like sit and wait for the wagon. Um, and during this time, Inej has a conversation with Matthias and she kind of understands how he feels being home, but not actually because like yeah. this is where he's from, but he's there and he's not in a position to be accepted back there yeah. yet. So she kind of is thinking and says that she misses home too, but for her, like for her family is home. It's not a place. And she doesn't really know how to find them again. So it's just a bit sad, really. But it's kind of a nice moment between them that I wasn't really expecting. They're not two characters that I would expect to connect. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're sort of like on completely opposite ends of the six... The sixum. <laughs> yeah. No, I, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yes. I've just made up a new word. <laughs> It's I know it, I, I know I'm like it's septuplet when it's seven. I can't remember what six is. Septuplets. Anyway. But that's not the, I know that's not what this would be, but all I could think was septuplet. Anyway, not the point. <laughs> uh Inej tells Matthias not to worry about um about Nina. And they go back and forth a bit, like describing Nina, and it ends with Matthias saying that Nina is too much. 
And Inej responds with, maybe you aren't enough, which I was like, whew, that is an A plus friend. Like, and she does have a point too. Like maybe if you think that Nina is too much, then that's fine. Leave her for somebody who doesn't think that and who is enough for her in return. So yeah, I Uh, love it. Me too. Yeah. So they make their way to a vantage point that Nina found and Jesper's on the lookout while the rest of them like just wait and get a bit of rest. Like Inej is still healing and recovering from her injury. So she sleeps a bit there. Yeah. Um, Wylan uses his explosives to knock over a tree, which is like a complete callback to book one of shadow and bone. Um, when somebody did the same trick to Alina when she was in the Darklings carriage. Um, and yeah. I, I think it was Fjordans that did that too. Like the Fjordans attacked her. So it's kind of interesting that it's... They're turning you know, the tables. Just a little callback that I uh, <laughs> wanted to mention. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad you caught it because I did not. <laughs> well, I've read them more often than you. Um, Kaz says that like, They'll basically have 15 minutes once the carriage comes and tries to start moving the tree. So the wagon finally shows up and the drivers kind of just look at the tree for a bit and don't want to do shit about it, which is like super relatable. But eventually they do unhook a horse and get to like moving the tree out of the way. Um, Kaz goes to the back of the wagon and opens it, but he is then supposed to like get everybody to come forward and get in. But he freezes. And Inej kind of notices that he's frozen. And she goes to, like, him to see what the hell is going on. Yeah. Because he can't just be standing at the back of the wagon with it open. Anyway, if somebody comes along, they're screwed. Um, So she walks up to Kaz and he flinches, which is obviously something that Kaz does not do. Uh, she looks inside and everything looks in order. There's just like more people in there than they had expected. But other than that, it's like prisoners in a truck. Forgot the word for truck. Um, so it's, it's kind of what they're expected. She does say that the, some of the prisoners that are like standing in the middle are chained to the ceiling so that like, if they fall asleep, the chain will cut off their breath, which is very awful. Obviously, but there's a lot of, I think, references to like historical, like this is essentially a form of, um, I like, I think we can say that Fjordans perform are performing essentially a a form of, of genocide against an entire people. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of references, I think, to historical, uh, like real historical forms of events of events yeah yeah which which makes sense makes sense but it also makes it like it it honestly like reading some of this stuff some of these parts makes me want to vomit like because you realize that hey like that's real like that that's actually been performed on on people like that's not pretend for a book Mm -hmm. and it's really like yeah anyway yeah so back to this um kaz kind of (coughs) sorry uh 
uh, Kaz kind of shakes out of it because Inej is there and they go about unhooking six people. Um, Nina slows down their hearts and kind of passes, makes them pass out. And then they inject them all with something to keep them asleep so that they don't just like pop right back up as the yeah. carriage is trying to go away and be like, what the fuck? Um, so they also realize then that they, they got four men, a boy and a woman out of the prison vehicle. Like, obviously they couldn't really do much about who they grabbed, but it's not really great for them replacing them because obviously there are two women in this group and four boys. They're all children, really. Like Matthias and Nina maybe look more like adults than the other ones, but everybody's a child. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so they start chaining themselves in and uh, Kaz finally kind of reveals the trick of how they're going to lock themselves back in. He actually took the hinges off instead of like picking the lock, which is probably super hard to pick. They took the hinges off the other side of the door and they're just sticking the pins back in to put the hinges back together, which I think is also very Ocean's 11 or 12 or 13. Yeah. Well, I think that was what a couple of them were like, well, if you're going to pick the lock on the prison wagon, then if we're all inside, who's going to lock us back in? Mm -hmm. So I think this was sort of his like big reveal, like, ha ha ha, I'm not. I'm so smart. Yeah. Which he is. So, yeah. Uh, but Inej is watching him and she notices that he's like being very clumsy and she knows that there's something wrong with him. Like there's obviously something going on. Um, but luckily he gets it done in time and gets himself in place. But Inej kind of hears him breathing rapidly next to her and she notices when he faints. So clearly there's something happening. Because I don't think Kaz is the type of person that faints. So we jump to Kaz's point of view. And we go back in time again. And we're kind of picking up like right where we left off last time. So last time uh, Kaz and his brother Jordy got swindled out of all of their money. And this time Kaz kind of just continues and says they run out of the little bit of money they did have that they hadn't put in the loan. So they, he says that when they brought the loan papers to the bank, they realized that it was completely fake. Um, and they end up like out of their boarding home and mm-hmm. in the streets, um, which they're not really ready for. Like they're not seasoned kids. They're little farm boys who are in town now and like, it doesn't go well. Um, Jordy ends up getting a fever, and a few days later, so does Kaz. And it's a plague of firepox, and Ketterdam is basically shut down because of it. Like, it's a full-on outbreak pandemic in this town. Like, very bad. Um, Kaz ends up delirious and sick, and when he comes to, like, when he comes to at one point, he puts his head on Jordy's chest, but he says it already feels wrong. But, like, Like, he's a nine-year-old boy. (laughs) But also, like, can you imagine just, like, when you're sick, what do you want the most? Mm. 
You want your your house. Like, you want to be home. You want to be in bed. You want someone taking care of you. Mm-hmm. And, like, these kids are on the street. Like, it's so sad. Yeah. It's so depressing. These poor kids are, like, sick on the street. And then he's, like, lying on his brother because that's the comfort he has. And, like, he's, it yeah. feels wrong. And we know why it feels wrong. Because he's already dead. And it's... It really only just gets sadder from there. But Kaz ends up on a flatboat with a bunch of bodies and is dropped into the sea. And he kind of just like stays there holding on to Jordy and waits to die. But his his fever passes or breaks and he's like finally feeling a bit better from his sickness. Not better. Better is not the right word because he's in the sea with a bunch of dead bodies. But he isn't as sick anymore and he's still alive. So he uses Jordy's body as a raft and swims back to shore, which is one of the worst things I could possibly imagine happening ever. Yeah. Like the one person left in the world that you love and it's just awful. Anyway. And like, well, and then too, like, he talks about how, like, he was put on, like, the, the, the fairy thing, like, the dead body fairy, essentially. And he's trying to call out that he's alive. But, like, there's hmm. so many dead bodies that, like, whoever is putting them out, like, doesn't hear him. Mm-hmm. And, like, can, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's... It gives me the heebie-jeebies so bad just thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. He, as a nine-year-old boy, <laughs> decides that he's only going to live for vengeance now, which is also crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, after all of that trauma of being in a boat with a bunch of dead bodies and then having to use his brother's body as a raft, he is not okay with touching people and touching skin anymore, which completely makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's why he wears gloves, which is like the complete opposite of what everybody thinks. But yeah, because everyone thinks that he's sort of hiding a deformity or something. Yeah. When really he's just like, ew, don't touch me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously like this, situation of being pressed up against a lot of people is is similar to being packed into the boat with a bunch of bodies so i can see why he passed out yeah um inej kind of whispers to him that they made it through two checkpoints while he was passed out and they're almost at the gates and he is shocked that he was out of it for that long um like two checkpoints means that twice they opened up the back and counted everybody in there and Kaz just didn't notice like they could have touched him he thinks and he's like he wouldn't so yeah he's he's very not okay with it that's not what I'm trying to say but you know anyway um he is glad that Inej is the only one who noticed that he passed out though because like he does trust her with the secret since he knows that like she won't go running around telling people about his weaknesses. Um, like it would it would ruin his reputation if people found out that he had any weaknesses at all. So um yeah. they finally get to the gates and the guards 
are like a bit annoyed that the people don't match the, I guess, descriptions, but they can't really be bothered with it. They don't really care enough to do anything, which is exactly what Kaz was hoping for. Mm-hmm. Um, while they're there, Nina notices that Pekka Rollins's men are skewered on the gate. So they know that they don't have to worry about that team anymore. And Kaz yes. kind of like thinks to himself and refuses to believe that Pekka himself is dead. Cause it's like, he has to kill Pekka. Yeah. Like that's the only option. Um, so I guess the guys and girls are separated and brought to um, different sections, but they also go to a human amplifier before they go to their prison cells. So I guess they make sure that there's no Grisha inside the cells. They probably have like somewhere special that they take the Grisha, which we kind of find yeah, a bit later. So somebody tests them all. Um, but Nina, I guess we're still in Kaz's head, but he says that they put paraffin on Nina's arms. So to try and hide, we... hide her Grishaness from the yeah. amplifier. Yeah. I just, are we in Kaz's head still? I thought that this part was in Nina's head, but maybe I just might've been, it doesn't matter. So yeah, they obviously are trying to hide the fact that she's Grisha. And apparently if there's paraffin on her arm, she can't, she's not touching her actual skin. So can't tell that she has powers. Love it. Exactly. Um, the, they notice the tanks and weapons um, in an enclosure that they pass. And they're talking about the tanks like they are something they've never seen before, which is interesting because I guess generally their vehicles are towed by horses. They don't have any automobile type things <laughs> in this world yet. So right. this tank is something that doesn't need a horse, which is surprising to them. But it's also like, it's really a show of Fjordan's might that on the way to the prison cells, you walk past all of this heavy artillery. Yeah. And also it's maybe something to remember is there. Yes, it is. <laughs> I think. Yes. Um, Kaz is still panicked a bit, which is surprising. Um, but like, since Inej is going a separate direction, like she's going to the women's cells and he's going to the men's cells, he kind of repeats her words in his head to help him cope, I guess. Because um, they all have to take off all of their clothes now. And that's something that he obviously isn't very comfortable with anyway. Yeah. Um, so it is kind of cute that like he gets, not cute, <laughs> but a bit. That he gets so much strength from Inej and her words. And I kind of feel like there's a moment a little later where like Inej kind of does similar in a right. way with his words. And I, I just, I love their relationship. I, I wish it was more and better, but I still love it. Um, yeah. Anyway, so while they're getting sh- like ready to be showered and stuff, uh, the guards check them. And the guards find lockpicks in Kaz's mouth. And it kind of just made me think, like, how did they not find the baleen in there? Oh, yeah. 
But, but I guess he must have it like really tucked away. Yeah. Don't know. Or maybe maybe it looks like a tooth. Like I have no idea. Anyway, whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, he finds lockpicks in his Kaz's mouth and he like decks him in the face for it. Um, they're all then showered, obviously, in a cold shower and given prison clothes and then brought to their cells. And they go into the cells and like, we're still with Kaz, but he goes in and there's already a bunch of people inside, (laughs) which is always a bad time. Um, But Kaz can tell what's like about to happen. He sees one of the guys in the cell is like already noticed him and noticed his limp. And he knows that this guy is going to come over and attack him. So like, as he does, Kaz anticipates it, moves out of the way, and pulls this guy's arm through the cell bars and dislocates his shoulder. Ah. Awful. He begins. Yes. He brings him back to the bench and puts his shoulder back in place. And, like, the guy just rolls onto his side and starts to cry, which is, like, super relatable. Um, but like, it's really, Kaz kind of had to set up his place as not a weak person that can be preyed on. And I think it also settled him back into like who he is. Yeah. As a person, like he's feels less weak now because he was able to do that for himself. So it's, it's good for him right now. Yeah. So we jump over to Jesper's point of view now. And Wylan and Jesper kind of like are chatting, teasing each other and flirting a bit while they wait. Um, It really seems like Wylan has no idea what the fuck is going on half the time, which is funny. But also like, why, why do some people know the plan and some people don't? I don't really understand. But yeah, I feel like that's just Kaz trying to like control everything. Like, he gives people bits and pieces. Yeah. Right? And, of course, the less people that know the whole plan, the better. Yeah. And I don't I don't know if anyone knows the whole plan other than Kaz himself. So, I get it. But it's also just kind of funny. Um, so, the guards show up at 6, which is expected. And he's wondering where the piss bucket is. And yeah. all the prisoners just shrug and the guard really doesn't give a shit anyway. He's like, whatever. Um, so he just goes to get fresh water and brings that back. But he obviously can't clear out the piss bucket that he couldn't find. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesper goes up to the fresh water and drinks some and then pours some over his shirt and then does the same to Wylan and pour some water over his front of his shirt as well. Mm-hmm. And like I said, Wylan is confused. He has no idea what's going on. Of course he um, doesn't. He's a little baby. <laughs> Jesper starts feeling along his leg where Nina stitched something into his body, which is gross. <laughs> but I also Ugh. don't understand. Anyway, I'll get to that in a second. Um, apparently, <laughs> Nina's <laughs> apparently Nina's doing the same thing in her own cell, like opening up her stitches and getting something out of her body. But with um, what? She's like, she's using magic. Okay. Small science to open it. Oh, fine. I guess he's just tearing his skin open. Like, I don't... 
maybe there are still stitches there and he can just like pick them out. Like, I don't. Cause he does yeah. mention, he says like, it must be, maybe it's easier for Nina to do since she is a Grisha. But yeah. Anyway. Um, Jesper tells Waylon to put his shirt up over his mouth and he obviously does it. And, but they also have a cute moment where Jesper tells Waylon that he's cuter when he's smart. Yeah. Um, which I loved. So cute. And then Jesper also thinks that he likes flirting with Waylon, with Wylan a lot. Yeah. Which I also think is really cute. Um, Jesper then pulls the piss bucket out from where he had it hid and says a storm is coming and like the rest of the team know to put their shirts over their mouth. Um, Wylan's the only one that didn't, but he puts the pill thing that he got out of his leg in the bucket. And I'm like, if it was in his leg, wouldn't it have like dispersed into his body? It must have been in like a capsule. I don't yeah. really understand, but it doesn't really matter that much, I guess. Could have even been wrapped in plastic or something. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Anyway, he takes it out of he puts it in this bucket and then everyone else in the cell passes out because of the mixture. He explains to Wylan what it is, but I I can't remember now what exactly <laughs> it was, but it's a chemical reaction and everybody's passed out and they say that once the guards come looking around again they'll just they'll be awake but they'll have a bit of a headache um kaz calls jesper over and we find out that jesper is a secret grisha Um, yeah very interesting so he uses the bars of the cell to make lock picks so he's technically a fabricator which is definitely handy to have. Yeah. And it, it kind of like makes some sense when you think about all of his skills. Yeah. So it's, it's, I can, I could see it looking back, but I still, the first time I read it was like, Oh, wow. Well, Crazy. and I remember too, like Wyland's always like, seriously, why are you here? Like, we can't go shooting up the place. Like, why mm-hmm. are you here? And Jesper's response was like, oh, well, you know, Kaz, trust me. And it's like, maybe that's part of it. But also, you're a fabricator. Like, that is this super, <laughs> super helpful to have. Yeah. When when they don't have a lockpick anymore, it's yeah. necessary. Um, Kaz explains that he brought the lockpicks in his mouth as a distraction. Um, Genius. So that, yeah, so that the guards would think that they had one up on them. And not notice that they had other plans mm-hmm. uh kaz then picks the lock and they leave the cell and lock it back up um kaz and wylan go to get the girls and we stay with jesper and matthias as they go to get rope so they go to a stable and grab like two rungs of rope each yeah um then jesper and matthias uh go back to the incinerator where they're supposed to be meeting everyone and they find Wylan and Inej by the incinerator. Um, and as soon as they walk into the door, they can feel the heat from the incinerator. They know that it was like ran that afternoon. There's still like hot coals on the bottom of it. 
and it is hot as hell inside. So it doesn't seem like it's going to be that possible for Inej to do it. Yeah. Um, Kaz hasn't come back yet. He and Nina are checking the cells for the scientist. It was supposed to be Jesper, Matthias, and Nina, but Kaz decided that he's going now. So clearly he's up to something, but we don't really know what it is. Um, Wylan finds their clothes in this room and finds Inej's shoes. And it's finally like a tiny bit of good luck that they've had. And Inej says that she can make the climb up the incinerator. Right. So, yeah. So they're essentially in this like laundry room and then there's like the incinerator in it. So they're essentially, I guess, going about their business and everything now it's skipping, like not skipping, it's switching POVs every chapter, but it's almost like starting at the same point for like, you know what I mean? Like it's starting again from the beginning. It's not like canonical, if that yeah. makes sense. Like, no, it does. It's like, it's like last week when um it went back to Inej and it was like the second after her last chapter. Yeah. This chapter started, but that time had already passed for other people. Yeah. So we're doing essentially the same thing. So, like, we're at Nina's POV now. Um, Like, I guess they're climbing up the stairs because, so remember, the whole plan was um, Inej is going to climb the incinerator. The others are waiting in the laundry room. And the rest of them, well, I guess the rest of them was supposed to be just Bernina and Matthias checking the rest of the jail just in case they stored Boyle Bear there. They're pretty sure he's not there, but they just want to give it a once over. Yeah, if he is, it would make their lives so much easier. It would. Um, however, I guess Kaz switched up the rules and just said to Nina, hey, let's go now. So him and Nina are climbing like the stairs in the tower. Obviously Kaz is struggling because he does have a limp and he does use a cane and he doesn't have it right now. So Mm -hmm. he is struggling. Um, They hear some guards running down the stairs. So they like sort of hide and they're like, Oh my God, have we been discovered already? Um, They run past them, but like, we don't know what's going on at this point. Mm Hmm. Um, Nina and Cass sort of separate to search both of the corridors just to make it go faster. Um, Nina's like searching her corridor and she's thinking about her plan to kill Boyle Bear. Um, and like, I just, I understand why she's doing it, but at the same time, like, she's obviously not going to get the 30 million Kruger by killing him. And, like, she's just going to make all of her friends mad at her. Mm-hmm. Anyway. As she's, like, checking the jail, she finds this separate hallway with a door that locks from the inside. So she, like, has to prop it open. Um, and she can tell that it's fabricator made. Um, and she says, like, each cell was white with no furniture. And there's a drain in the center. Which is just sort of like, great. Uh, Nina says she sort of realizes that the cells are for Grisha because there's nothing in them, in the cells, to allow them to use their powers. 
So she feels really, really uncomfortable. Uh, mm-hmm. So she boots it out of there. Yeah. And I think she said that she saw like a squalor's pin in one of the cells. So like she knows that Grisha have been held in there. Yeah. Which is awful. Yes. Um, so she just rushes out of there. I sort of thought there would be more consequences to her like going there. Like I sort of expected the door to close behind her and her get locked in or something like that. Mm-hmm. But nothing like that happens. She just runs out. Um, she makes it to the meeting spot she was supposed to have with Kaz, but he's not there. So she's like, oh my God, what if he got caught? So she does his round, like looking at the cells he was supposed to look at. Um, So she like does a quick walkthrough of those to make sure he's not captured or anything. Um, So she runs back to go meet with the others in the lot in the laundry room. Uh, But she ends up, I guess, not being as careful and she runs into two guards yeah, it's really like one of those moments where you're like, the Spider-Man's pointing at each other because you're like, wait, you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, so I guess she runs into the two guards and she uses her powers to subdue them. But like one of them fell weird on the stairs and his gun went off, which I don't really understand. The logistics of, yeah. Yeah. Anyway um so another guard all of a sudden hears her and sort of runs into the room so this would be number three now um so like she uses her powers to snap his neck immediately which i also feel is a bit like whoa yeah so i I sort of don't really understand i thought she was a heart render not a i'm gonna snap your neck or yeah, I don't I don't really know either cuz like you'd think that she would just stop their heart to kill them. Yeah. Anyway, maybe maybe Grisha are trained more in more ways now than they were in the beginning of Shadow and Bone. <laughs> maybe. Anyway, so then all of a sudden the alarm sounds and all she can think of is like shit, we're caught. Mhm. Of course. Uh then it switches directly to Inez's POV. So again, she's down in the laundry room. Uh, she's about to climb in the incinerator. Um, I guess they expected it to have only been turned on in the morning and for it not to be as hot in the evening. But I guess they turned it on a bit late. So it was still super hot. So she's sort of looking in the laundry for something to protect her hands and she finds Kaz's gloves. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says she finds it really weird and intimate and like, yeah, just for her to wear his stuff. She's like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she says. Woo. Yeah, it's exactly what she says. Um, no, I get it though. <laughs> so she starts climbing the incinerator shaft. She says she's like super hot inside, even with the gloves and everything on. It's really hot. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not doing great, but she's doing okay when all of a sudden she realizes that uh, her shoes are melting against... Yeah. Like, how hot does it have to be for rubber to melt? Uh, 
180 degrees Celsius or 356 Fahrenheit. Yikes. That's very hot. That's what I would bake cookies at. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. That is insane. Yeah. It's real hot in there. And she's just she's, in there. She's basically a cookie. She is basically a cookie at this point. Anyway, so she's starting to like lose her grip and she's noticing that her uh, little slippers are melting from the ins- heat in the incinerator. Um, and like she's sort of starting to give up and like losing hope. Um, Which is all very fair when it's 350 degrees. Like, yeah. Right? I completely understand where she's coming from. Um, and then I feel like she sort of got mad at Kaz for bringing them on this mission. She's like saying how it's an impossible mission and like, how dare he bring them on this mission? It's his fault. Mm-hmm. And sort of like, it's his fault. I don't want to like, I don't want to die here. And it's mm-hmm. his fault. Um, then we get a flashback to the day that I I'm saying he bought her. He didn't. He purchased her indenture. Mm-hmm. So the first day that he purchased her. Um, so she says when she was first bought by Tantaline, she tried to run. But she was mm-hmm. caught and beaten so severely that she couldn't work for a whole week. Then they kept her in golden chains for a whole month. So, like, can yeah. you imagine what must have been done to her in that month? Blech. Yeah. Blech. Um. Anyway, Kaz bought her because um, even he said that, like, even with the bells on her ankles, uh, even her being dressed all in purple, uh, she could be sneaky when she wanted to be. He said he didn't hear her approach him at all. The day before. Hmm. So. um, He was like. Okay cool. So Kaz then offers her a place. In the dregs. Um, So he said that like. Because she was so quiet on that first day. Even though she was very like loud and obnoxious. um, He wanted her. In the gang. Mm -hmm. So. He offers her a place in the dregs and says, like, you know, you're going to be my secret stealer. You're going to help me with everything. Um, But he also makes it clear that Per Haskell did not buy her. Like, Per Haskell is not her owner now. Mm -hmm. But it's almost like we could say that Per Haskell gave... um, a loan we'll say for her to pay off her own indenture and now she's just she just owes him money mm-hmm. so um it's different but yeah yeah it's different because she can work off that money right yeah, like it's not she, she just has to pay him back and when when she is bought um Tantaline says like oh I don't know what he wants you for like she doesn't really know why she's purchased so she is scared up until she realizes that like oh this is actually something I can pay off and like live through so it is different than her situation before yeah um she said that originally when she was bought by Aline 
she was forced to sign a contract because technically slavery is illegal in Ketterdam, but like there is such a thing as being indentured, right? So being Mm -hmm. indentured means you had to borrow money. So you are working for the person until you pay off your debt. So Aline made her sign this contract to demonstrate that, oh no, she wasn't kidnapped. She's not a slave. She's an indenture. But she couldn't read the contract because it was in Kirch. So the contract is a surefire way to keep her from eventually paying off her debt and moving out because Aline had it in there. So like, yeah, she would get money for every client, but then she was also charging her for food, charging her for room and board, like charging her for all this stuff, these additions that really just made, um, made her tab run up essentially. So that Mm -hmm. she would like never, she would never be able to pay it off like ever. So yeah. Uh, her contract with Per Haskell was a bit different. It was a typical loan agreement and it's her paying it off slowly with interest. So Mm -hmm. it was quite different. So she's thinking about this back in the present with her in this incinerator shaft. Um, She's sort of having a crisis. She says, so like she's thinking to herself that with all the money, if they make it out alive, the money she gets, she could go home again. But she's sort of like, well, I could, but what if my parents don't? Um, accept sort of the things that I've done to survive or like what you know sort of a a what if of like could she face her family again mm. Um, she's thinking of giving up trying to climb the shaft because it's really really hard Um, and like she's hot stuff is melting her hands are blistering Um, so she thought about like letting go or trying to jump something she's just super uncomfortable and is like crying so Mm -hmm. she needs a break i feel like i know she can't get one because she's you know yeah in the middle of something but i think it'd be nice if she had a break (laughs) it would be nice if she had a break all of a sudden it starts to rain which is her break which is her break. Um, so it starts to like cool down the incinerator shaft a bit better to make it more climbable for her. Um, I liked they did like a metaphor here. She said that like the rain <clears throat> was washing away the smoke of Ketterdam and the makeup of the menagerie, sort of like washing away these old aspects of her life and like, ushering in this new sort of start yeah the rain does a really good job of melting a little bit the heart the rubber on her shoes so that she could gain sort of purchase again she decided that with her 40 with her story her four million kruga she is going to buy a little ship and hunt down all the slavers and buyers she could and I'm just mm-hmm. secretly like, yes, queen. Mm-hmm. I know. I love it I'm so like, much. 
I do too. And I just want them to get the money so that she can have this dream. Like she just had a like spiritual rebirth (laughs) with the rain. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. So we get Kaz's POV now. He's running through the tower looking in the cells for Boyle Bear. But he says he sort of like doesn't feel like himself without his cane and gloves. Mm. Um, We get another little flashback here of how he survived after everything that happened with Jordy. In order for him to survive after Jordy's death, he used to pick on kids that were smaller than him. And that's essentially what he did. So one day he went to a gambling den to ask for a job because obviously you need money. Um, But he said, no, we've already got a boy who does all the work here, so we don't need you. So he waits outside, follows the kid home. He stole his shoes, and then he slashed the soles of his feet so that he could take the job. Because by slashing the bottoms of his feet, he knew the kid would have a really long recovery. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that way, he could then go into the gambling den the next day and be like, hey, you need you need a boy to to, to." essentially he's like washing the bathrooms. He was cleaning toilets was essentially Mm -hmm. the job. But because the other kid couldn't work for like a month while his feet healed, he got the job. Yeah. But like Kaz made sure to sort of reiterate in this memory that when he touched that kid's bare skin to like slash his feet and to take his shoes off, um, it had revulsed Kaz so much. Like mm-hmm. he couldn't, he felt like he couldn't really handle it. Um, he mentioned that like he sort of, he ended up going to jail a couple of times. Um, he followed some thieves around and pickpockets to sort of learn the craft. He, earned himself the reputation of having a willingness to do any job. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I wonder about that. Like they really emphasized any job and I'm thinking to myself, any job, like really any, any, he was was also like 10 or 11 at this time. Like, yeah, Jesus. So like he ended up learning that the con that hurt soon pulled on him and Jordy was super common and a ton of people were in on it, like the little girl whose ribbon he had, the wife, the like hurt soon himself, the bank clerk, like everybody was in on it um, and said that like there was a good chance he was probably running it on multiple marks at once because he was like, mm-hmm. there's no way that Jordy's little fortune was enough to warrant the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so he was like, oh yeah, he's definitely running it on multiple marks. Um, Kaz sort of admits that his original name is not Brecker, his family name. Um, his family name was, I don't even know if I'm saying this right, Rietveld? Rietveld? I'm I'm not sure. That's as right as I could say it. (laughs) Anyway, Rietveld. Um, but he changed it because he didn't want to be tied to Jordy anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, he did learn apparently as a young child that he was like amazing at cards. 
And it said like all it took was an hour of him learning the game and he then could not be beaten anymore. So I feel like he was probably, he earned, I would say he earned a lot of his money gambling. Yeah. He also is clearly like, we talked about it before. He's very good at math. Like he does Mm -hmm. the books and stuff in his head, but he's clearly very smart with obviously very little education, the formal yeah. education, not education, but like, yeah, he, he was nine when he got there, but he is very good at mental math, which is really impressive, really. Yeah. It makes me wonder if you think he might have like some form of eidetic memory. Mm-hmm. Because like for him to be, he can count cards. He can like, I don't know. He just, he's so smart. It makes me wonder if he's got some form of, eidetic memory or something mm-hmm. um anytime he sort of encountered somebody on the streets he would ask after hurt soon and finally one day walking down the street saw him entering this shop so he followed him into the store and i guess one of his bodyguards was there and he was like hey i want to go talk to that hurt soon guy and the bodyguard's like, dude, that's not hurt soon. Like, his name is Pekka Rollins. Mm-hmm. So realizing, so I guess, like, he ended up having a really short interaction with Pekka Rollins here. Um, but, like, Pekka had no idea who Kay- Kaz was, mm-hmm. which was sort of, like, the nail in the coffin, I want to say, for their interactions. Yeah. Like... The fact that he had no idea who he was, he was just another Mark, like, pissed him off. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, he sort of had made it his mission from that point on that he's going to take everything from this guy. Um, and he's going to do it in style. So he needs a gang. <laughs> uh, so he asks Per Haskell if he needs a soldier. And he worked as a grunt. And eventually, now, the dregs is essentially his army. So that's our long, twisted history of Kaz Brecker, a.k.a. Rietveld. Yeah. And it's like, I kind of like how they pepper in the backstory during this story. But it also does mean that the book is so fucking dense. Like, there is so much packed into it. Which, (coughs) sorry, we were talking about earlier today. Yeah. But so much happens in this book. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. Um anyway, so back to the present. Uh Kaz went like with Nina instead of Matthias and Jas Jesper because he was looking for Rollins, Pekka Rollins, because remember all of his guys were spiked, were on spikes when they mm-hmm. when they went in. So he thought it was a good chance that Pecorons would be in in the jail somewhere. Uh, So he finds him, breaks into the cell. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. And then it switches POV. And we actually don't find out what happens for quite a while to to Pecorons. Yeah. Um, So then we skip to Jesper's POV. So... He's waiting for everybody in the laundry room. So Inej ended up like climbing up and she let a rope down that they could climb. Hmm. 
Um, so I guess Jesper's sort of just like waiting for everybody to climb up. And so like they're all slowly like, you know, Matthias and um, Wylan are down there along with Jesper. Then Nina comes running in. So like they all start climbing up the rope. Um, Kaz shows up late and he's all must and bloody. So like I'm asking what the heck did he do to Pekka Rollins? Yeah. Everyone else is like, dude, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. So hmm. we really, I'm really, I was really um, nosy about this one. I didn't look it up, but this part, especially I was like, <laughs> huh, I wonder what happened to Pekka Rollins. I yeah. would have loved it if he like tortured and killed him. Yeah. Well, he, I'm pretty sure when he's walking into the cell, he's like, I can just kill him here and that'll be my revenge. And I was like, oh. And then you don't hear what happens and he comes back with blood and you're like, yeah, he did it. Yeah, I guess. I guess he did it. Yep. Anyway. So, yeah. So um, everyone sort of makes it to the roof, but the alarms are sounding because remember Nina um, accidentally had a gun set off or had the soldier set off his gun. So it starts an alarm. Mm hmm. They end up, like, just sitting on the roof because, like, no one's going to come after them on the roof. Yeah. Uh, and they heal Anish's feet. She has, like, a rubber melted into them. Ugh. That sounds awful. Yes. Yes, it does. So they sort of, like, demand to Kaz, like, why did you change the plan? Why did you switch everything around? And he sort of just said he wanted to get info on who ratted them out from the harbor because he says somebody had to have ratted them out. Mm-hmm. Um, do we, sorry, do we get that in this book? Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was this book or the next one. Okay, we cool. do. Gotcha. So, yeah. So he says he wanted to try and find Pekka Rollins. Um, he wanted... To figure out who was behind being a tattletale, essentially. Mm-hmm. But he's he's actually honest about it, which I was kind of surprised about. Yeah. He sort of says to everybody that he didn't find Pekka Rollins, which is yeah, odd. he's not honest about that part. Because we know for a fact he did find Pekka Rollins. Yes. So, hmm. Honesty? Question mark? <laughs> so... The fact that the alarm went off sort of means that they know something. Like, they know that some of the prisoners have just escaped. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be on high alert for a little bit. Um, a few of the six are like, hey, guys, like, this has been fun. Let's cut our losses. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. But Nina's like, no way. I'll go by myself. But this guy is getting out of jail. Yeah. Um. They're sort of, like, overlooking everything at this point. Like, because, again, they're on the roof, so they can see stuff happening. Mm-hmm. And they can see that they're adding another checkpoint to... Like, after the... Yeah, like... They, they had passed the checkpoint by going into the prison. They had passed the main checkpoint. But now that there's another one... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so everybody's freaking out. They want to cut their losses and go, but Nina's like, no way. Like, I'm going in by myself if I need to. Mm -hmm. 
Inej starts to see some girls entering from the menagerie and she's sort of like, that's how Nina and I are going to get in. Like, that's how we can get in because they're all worried that they're not going to be able to get past this extra checkpoint now. Mm -hmm. Um, So they start to make a plan. They're going, they said they're going to trigger something called black protocol um and essentially it's like i think it's like their big main like this is the worst thing that's happening sort of protocol yeah um so they're gonna do that but then they're gonna like tamper with the gate so that it malfunctions to trap the soldiers in the driskelly sector Mm -hmm. um but then it's like oh but kaz and nina and matthias and you know, Inez are all going to be in that sector. So, like, how are they going to get out? Maybe. And I'm like, you would think that your chief plan wouldn't be to trap four of your main people inside. No, but the first time I read this, I didn't realize that they weren't telling us the whole plan. Like, I knew that clearly something else had to happen to for it to make sense. But, like, there's a lot to this plan that they have planned out that we don't know about until it happens. Yep. A whole lot and yeah. also a whole lot where they just like think on their feet and are like okay this is it cool and i'm just <laughs> like wait what yeah agreed um so the girls start getting ready to they have to dress up like members of Tantaline's menagerie hmm. so they fake the tattoo like this uh i think it's a peacock tattoo like a peacock feather yeah they do a fake one of those on their arms um and then they all like bid each other farewell so jesper and wylan are going off together somewhere that we don't really know uh nina matthias had a little chat like i'm calling it a moment um and then they separate and kaz and inez have a little chat Mm -hmm. and she was sort of like if if they get the money, then she's going to leave. Yeah. And I sort of took from this moment, because it's actually like a cute little moment, that he was going to say that he loved her or something like that. Mm. Um, so she, he, he couldn't say it. So instead, she sort of like touched his, his face. Which is a big deal for him. A big deal. So he says he like, he hated it. But he tolerated yeah. it. Yeah. Um, and then they just said goodbye. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, because like realistically, they could all die. Yeah, they could. They could all decease and perish, and it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> they they're, said goodbye, so they're acting like it's fine. Yeah. Anyway uh so yeah so like we know that he like hates the touch hates her skin on his skin but he he tolerates it for her Mm -hmm. um so they make their way to the menagerie area with the girls and they put a couple of them to sleep and take their place so they take over for a Kalish girl who's like a redhead with like a horse. I think she's supposed to be like a horse. 
Yeah, but the outfit sounds nothing like a horse from no, what <laughs> maybe not from what Nina says. But and yeah. Yeah. And then of course Inej is like a Suli Lynx girl. Mm-hmm. Um they sort of like so they assimilate into this group of girls and they make it to the checkpoint, but for some reason not for some reason, we know the reason. But Inej's costume, because it doesn't 100% fit right, she gets flagged. And so Mm -hmm. she has to get taken back to the first checkpoint to have her documents reviewed again, which sounds bad. Yeah. And I think they said, like, her tattoo looks wrong, too, because they didn't have time to, like... Perfect it. No, because she had had it removed chopped off and then they're like put it back on so obviously it's gonna look weird in a spot that she literally just chopped the skin off with a butcher's knife yeah 100 percent. yeah so terrible time she's gone to a checkpoint yeah so um like her and nina are being separated now so like that's pretty darn dangerous really because it means Mm -hmm. they'll just be alone um, that ends that one, and then we go to Matthias's POV, like, immediately jumps right to him. Um, the four guys are just sort of, like, roof hopping, I'm gonna say. Like, they're jumping from roof to roof, mm-hmm. uh, without the girls. But, you know, I guess they have an okay time. <laughs> yeah. They find, um, they find, um the glass bridge that they're supposed to climb over. So like Kaz and Matthias separate from Jesper and Wyland. They got their own shit to be at. Um, and uh, so they're, they're trying to cross Matthias and Kaz are trying to cross this like glass bridge. That's in order to get to the Druskele section of the ice court. Hmm. And I'm not going to lie, this part did not make a ton of sense to me. So this glass bridge is like hidden a little bit under the water mm-hmm. to make it invisible. It's not going to happen, but I mean, I guess. So it's full yeah. of snow and ice and everything um, and water. There's like a yeah. river or a lake or whatever. It's kind of, I envisioned it like a moat. Because, like, there's one bridge to get into this section. And then this little bridge is the bridge for Triskela to use, not for, like, everybody to use. So that's why it's hidden. Yeah. So um, Matthias sort of said that, like, it's part of the ritual of becoming Triskela. Like, if no one tells you how to get across, you'll never find out. Because the, like stuff that you need is hidden in a really small little like alcove that you would never know about. Mm-hmm. So after they cross the glass bridge and they hide somewhere, they chew the, they cover themselves sorry, in this like white powder to sort of blend in with the snow, which I don't really mm. get. Yeah. That part is just kind of confusing. Cause I'm like, they say that they have to do it or they might get shot. But, like, if you're there as, like, do the guards who are guarding this place not know about this bridge? Like, if you cover yourself badly, will you get shot? Yeah, I don't know. If you're, if during your initiation, <laughs> like, it doesn't seem. 
Yeah. Anyway. I don't know. Anyway, so, so, uh, after they covered themselves in the white powder to blend in with the snow, they run into two soldiers and knock them out. So, mm. win for Matthias and Kaz. Matthias is sort of like thinking. He's he's sort of thinking about how he's. I, I want to say on the wrong team for him. You know what I mean? He's like. He knows that he should be, um, he should stay true to his country because right now he's like betraying mm-hmm. it. So he's like, yeah. he's going along with this plan, but he knows that he probably should shoot Kaz and like betray everyone and go say, hey, like, and like sound the alarm and like be like, this is what the plan is, like, arrest them. Um, but for some reason he can't. So instead they steal uniforms from the guards that they knocked out and they sneak into a party. Yeah. Fun times. The only thing I will say that I didn't mention is I loved Nina at the checkpoint. Yeah. So like, yeah. She essentially flirted her way into the guy not, like, the guy noticing that she might not have been right, but she flirted with him so, mm. in so such a good way that he forgot. And I loved yeah. it. And Yeah, me too. Like, I just love her mm. character anyway, but uh, he was like, oh, you're heavier than it says here. And she's like, I like to eat. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like. And then, yeah, charms him into asking her for a dance later, yeah. basically, which was like, Ooh. yeah, I know. And he was like, he was like, oh, you're like, what's you like, you're you're taller. And she's like, yeah, I'm wearing high heels or like, oh, it's the shoes or something like that. Mm. Like she just she has it. She had a comeback for every single thing that the the guard would say about her. And I really yeah. liked it. She was like, she's like the MVP, I think, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And like, I liked her in the show, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like we don't get as much of the sassy side of her. Like, yeah. you get a bit with Matthias, but it's it's different in this yeah. book. Which I'm excited to see if, if this book is yeah, the next Yeah, I season. also really like the actress that plays her. I don't know who it is, but I really liked her. Yeah. I follow her on Instagram, but I, I don't remember her name at this moment. But yeah, she is good. Um, So I guess that wraps it up for this week. If you want to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on anything you heard in our episodes, or if you have any book suggestions for us, you can email us at coffeeandcoread at gmail.com. And be sure to check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at coffeeandcoread. So next week, we're actually going to be finishing Six of Crows, which is uh, chapters 30 to um, the after part, the the chapter called after. Um, so make sure to follow along. And if you're enjoying our little chats, don't forget to follow, rate, and review wherever you find content. And thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you on the next page.